Good morning. So I, I joked at first service, so I guess I have to do it here, that uh, I, I told them the only reason I was not able to run the flying pig today is because I had to preach, which, you know, otherwise I'd be out there. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not 13 times my normal daily running around. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, this morning, as, as uh, hinted, we're going to talk about social media. Uh, although I'll warn you, we're not going to say everything there is to be said about social media. We're going to talk about regenerating the way we interact with social media in light of Colossians 3, 8 through 11. So that's a lot narrower focus than we were able to convey on the sign out front. Um, so there are a lot of positive things to be said about social media, uh, but in light of today's passage, we're going to see a particular interaction. Um, but before that, uh, actually, first, let's open in prayer. Father God, uh, just pray that you would uh, illuminate your word this morning, that your uh, Holy Spirit would be present, that uh, you would speak through me, that you would uh, open ears and, and hearts to receive your word. And we pray that you would use your word to continue to shape and mold us uh, into the people that you would have us become. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So the first thing I'd like to talk about this morning is socks. Um, The garment. You know, we're all wearing, most of us are wearing them. And the reason I want to talk about that, and I got permission from my wife to tell about this. And we go back and forth on, on different garments of clothes or items around the house. But the socks is the one where she's guilty, so I decided to share that one. But she will be, uh, like, sitting on the couch with her feet up, and I look at her feet, and there are, like, six massive holes in her socks. And there's literally no function left in the sock when it has that many holes in it. It's like, goes around your ankle, and that's it. It doesn't, you know, there's no padding, there's no cushion, there's no comfort. It's just an empty gesture at that point. And so we just say... I'm like, Susan, let's just go buy new socks. And the way I buy socks is I dump the entire drawer out and buy all new ones so they all match, and I only buy one kind, and I never have to do sock laundry again. The way she does it is we'll go buy her new things, and then three days later I'll see her laying on the couch, and I see her feet, and I see six holes there. And I'm like, why are you still wearing those old socks? Throw them away. We got you new socks. And that's the illustration that Paul is using in his text today. So we'll see it right now. If you'll turn with me, Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. He says, But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices. And have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And what's interesting here is the words he's using, the connotation in the original language for being put away or putting off, are typically used to describe garments of clothing. So in a sense, since we are now clothed in Christ's righteousness, we're taking off that old self, and he says, put it away. 
Uh, and so this is going to be an important thing to remember because the challenge for me was I've got a passage this morning that has a bunch of do-nots in it. And I think a lot of us that grew up in the church, we, we don't know what to do with these all the time. Because it sounds like what sometimes we call legalism or being a Pharisee when it's just a list of rules. But what I want to show you is that it's much more than that, and it's actually central to the gospel and to our regenerating. And so let's talk briefly about uh, each verse here. If you look at verse 8, the list of things that he has, he says, these are the things we have to put away. He sees us using them, and they're part of the old self. The first is anger, which in, in the word being used here, it, it's kind of describing the tumultuous outburst of passion, just kind of the knee-jerk reaction boiling over. He says, put that away. The second thing is wrath, which is similar to anger, but this is more of a settled hatred. It's a settled opposition. I've just decided that I hate this person, this thing, this thought, this, you know, whatever it is. I have a settled hatred towards that. And we have to put that away, too. And then he talks about malice, which is uh, another word for another force that destroys fellowship between people. And he says, put away slander, which is the defamation of human character. And actually, the word he uses in the Greek is blasphemy. Um, but what he's talking about is he's talking about blaspheming, slandering the character of another person. And when Jesus talks about blaspheming God, you don't slander the character of God. Um, but here, Paul's using that word to talk about how we relate to people. And finally, he says abusive language, or depending on your translation, it might say foul talk. We put all these things away. Uh, and so there's a couple of verses as I'm reading these things that kind of come to mind. Uh, the first is in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus reminds us that it's not what goes into a person that defiles you, but it's what comes out of a person. And so what makes a person unjust, in a sense, is what comes out of them, the anger, the wrath, the malice, slander, and abusive language. Um, and then I'm also thinking about how, how, how this affects our worship. In, in James chapter 3, he says, does, does, spring, does a sp- one single spring pour forth from the same opening both salt water and fresh water? Can you, and likewise, can your mouth be used to say both negative things about other people and to praise God on Sunday mornings? And so these are some of the issues uh, at, at, on the line here. This is the, the subject matter that we're dealing with. And in verse 9, I'll read it again to you. It says, do not lie to one another. It's another relational strain. Seeing that, and here's the reason, so you don't do any of these things, because you have stripped off the old self with its practices. And notice that this is past tense. And he says, you've put on the new self. And that's what we're talking about with regenerating. In, in our baptism, in our conversion, uh, we put on Jesus. We're in union with Jesus, and we put off the old self. It means it's gone. And I think this is an interesting distinction, because the problem that I've experienced uh, throughout my life with American preaching uh, in general is that American preaching tends to preach this way to Christians. It will say, you know, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. You're down here. And um, sometimes we call it worm theology. You know, you're just just a worm crawling on the ground in the filth. 
But if you do these things, you, you need to start acting holy. The problem with that is that's the complete opposite of what Paul's doing. Paul isn't saying you're a worm. He's saying you're holy. Why are you doing those things? That's the complete opposite. Do you see the difference? Holiness is the norm from which you deviate. That's completely different than saying you're a sinner. You need to work your way up to holiness. And the reason you're holy is not because of anything you did. It's because of what Christ has done for you. And you're in union with Jesus. And so we, we take all that with us and we keep going to verse 10 where he says, uh, And you have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed, or we might use the word regenerated in our case, in knowledge according to the image of its creator, being conformed to the image of Jesus. And so you've put off uh, the new self. And then there's this verse 11, which I didn't know quite what to do with when I first read it. Um, Because he says, in that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. But how that ties in is that all of these do-nots are about how we treat other people, how we relate to others. And so what he's saying is essentially Christ is all. He's saying Christ is all that matters, and Christ is in all Christians. So if Christ is all that matters and he's in all people, then that mandates the way we have to treat each other. And uh, so I don't know, uh, this might indicate that I didn't have a lot of friends when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, I liked to, I liked to take um, dirty pennies. It was like a science project type thing. And you use Tabasco or some kind of hot sauce on them. And, you know, it cleans them and they become shiny. Anyone ever hear of that or do that? Like three people. Well, now go home and have fun. But I'll warn you, the problem with that is that it might be fun to do, they look totally different, but a penny, whether it's clean or dirty, scuffed, scarred, beaten, torn, battered, whatever, is worth the same amount of money as a clean one or a dirty one. Same exact. And it's not because of the condition of the penny, it's because of the image stamped on the penny. And likewise, that's where we find our value. It's not whether we're poor or rich, Greek or Jew, black or white, uh, any of these other criteria, it's that Jesus is stamped onto each person. And so last week, we talked about um, sexual sins, which uh, are sins against the self. The Bible describes them. Uh, and this week, we're talking about social sin. But it's, it's even deeper than that, because this week we're talking about our character, which means character affects every aspect of your Christian life. It affects your walk your relationship with the Lord. It affects your witness, how you're seen by others and and how you are able to portray the gospel to other people. And it affects your worship, how you approach God. So your character matters, which is why Paul writes about it. Now, we need to talk about social media since we're talking about putting away these things, the old self, the new self being uh, regenerated in every area of life. And... um, Like I said, there are a lot of positive things I could say about social media, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Only for lack of time and and relevance. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about social media a little bit, and there are a few descriptors I found that I found uh, particularly interesting. Someone said that social media is the 21st century soapbox. You know what a soapbox is? It's uh, from centuries gone by, people would 
you know, get a box that, like a crate that soap came in, and they'd stand on it and just preach in common space to, and yell at whoever would listen. So it's a 21st century soapbox. Uh, someone else described it as the pulpit for the pulpitless. And then there's another one that says social media is an emotional amplifier. And I don't know if you guys, we're not all electrical engineers, and actually, I'm not either. But I play guitar, and you've seen me play electric guitar. Have you ever heard an electric guitar without an amplifier? The answer is, even if you have, the answer still might be no. Because it barely makes any noise on its own. You have to plug it into an amp to give it sound. And that's what social media does. Just the faintest keystrokes will multiply and reverberate uh, in hundreds of people. Uh, And so you're amplifying whatever it is you're doing, good or bad. Uh, And so that's, uh, so an amp, it's not a shortcut for learning how to play. Uh, If you can play really poorly and really loudly, that's not a good combination. (laughs) Likewise, social media is not a shortcut for relationship. It's a tool, like an amplifier, which can enhance something that is worthwhile, but it will also destroy something that's bad uh, or make something worse. And Facebook in particular, I, you know, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and, uh, and all of them, so I'm preaching also at myself. I want to make that very clear. Uh, but there are a few, uh, a few interesting quotes. Tony Ranke is a, a pastor and an author. He wrote a book uh, just like a month ago called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And he says this about Facebook addiction. He said, Facebook addiction clouds our self-perception. And the reason I find that quote interesting is is that our self-perception, you know, how we think of ourselves, how we view ourselves, is central to the gospel. You can't approach God unless you see your need of him. And you don't see your need of him unless you understand how needy you are. And if you believe everything you say about yourself on social media, I'm guessing you don't project the worst parts of yourself out there on purpose. Um, and, And so... Uh, that's an interesting thought. And then paired with this, Sam Storms is another kind of pastor author out there. Uh, and he says Facebook addiction, like all other forms of addiction, are birthed from boredom. Uh, and it's, it's, our, it's our boredom, it's our restlessness that we just keep trying to do things. And so um, it, it's interesting there's how much negative stuff there is to find on social media out there. But what I was trying to think of is I'm like, okay, but how do we... How do we do something different? How do we do something better? Uh, you know, because I can, I can point out the problems all day long. And it, it occurred to me while I was listening to the radio, there's an interview with a woman who's a director of a... I should have looked it up between services because I didn't know the first service either. It's in Covington, and it works with kind of work rehabilitation. It teaches people uh, life skills and, and job skills and, you know, kind of how to enter the, the working world. And... The host said, okay, well, you know, that's still kind of abstract. Can you give me something, like, concrete? What's a lesson you try to teach people? And she said, actually, the most important lesson that a lot of people uh, don't have uh, that, that hurts them in the workplace is they need to learn how to respond rather than react. And I thought, oh. I said, well, that's, you know, I think, I think not only is she on to something, but I think she's on to something biblical. Um, and the difference is this, reacting is instinctual. Responding is a conscious choice. And she said, you know, to respond, you have to ask, what is the most intelligent and compassionate response to the situation? And so here's an example. The example is reaction. Your child breaks something. You immediately react by getting angry, perhaps yelling, 
upsetting the child, upsetting yourself, worsening your relationship, and not making anything better. Responding, on the other hand, would be your child breaks something, you notice your angry reaction, you pause, take a breath, consider the situation, and first uh, response is to see, is your child okay? Is she hurt? Is she scared? Second, realize that the object that is broken in the larger view is not that important. Let it go and adjust to a world without it. Third, help her clean up and make a game of it. Show her that mistakes happen and it's not something to dwell on. Fourth, calmly talk about how to avoid mistakes like that in the future and give her a hug. Now, I realize this is a really great example from the pastor without kids. <laughs> I can teach you. It's, it's I know. I just forfeited my right to say it. But do you, understand, do you see the difference between reacting and responding? And in, in light of that, I thought, well, if that's reacting and that's responding, I don't know about you, but I could describe my Facebook news feed as the reaction zone. That's where people go to react. It's, I don't often see thoughtful, well-composed, intellectual, compassionate arguments. I see raw emotions surging from one person to another in a boxing match of words. And there is a study, and this is uh, very telling, uh, 70% of Facebook users only read the headline of science stories before commenting. Think about that. They have an opinion before they have information. Is that a response or a reaction? That's a reaction. Or that, yeah. And, and, and there's a similar article. NPR ran a similar experiment and they posted a fake article with no content. And then people would screenshot all their friends' reactions to the article. And you would see the exchanges. The person who posted the article would say, you know, did you finish the article? Did you read all of it? And they're like, yeah, I read it and I totally disagree. And they're like, I'm not, I think you missed something in it. Um, and, so, and I think that article's still out there, so have fun with that. Um, but it's like we're all full of anger, wrath, and malice, and we have nowhere to take it. We have nowhere to go. And uh, it really struck me yesterday. I saw a stand-up comedian who uh, he confessed that he's recently given up the, the Internet altogether for the last year. He's, he gave his iPhone to his 10-year-old, and she set a parental password on it for him. So now when he wants to use his phone, his 10-year-old has to give him permission. And he said he did that because he got tired of ignoring his daughter. Because he'd be kind of listening to his daughter and his phone would beep and he'd pull out his phone to look at that. And she said she was very patient, but he didn't want her to have to be patient. Uh, and he was so hooked on that. And he said he had to just give up the internet altogether because he realized how much he enjoyed that surge of anger and the feeling of self-righteousness from finding an article he disagrees with or a person that he disagrees with. It feels good. There's this rush of, look how smart I am. Look how clever I am. Look how holier I am than this person because I disagree with this. Uh, and he said he actually went out of his way. He would Google phrases and articles that he knew he would disagree with because he liked the rush of anger. Now, that's a good diagnosis. Jesus says if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your internet causes you to sin, I guess, cut it off. But here's the principle is we're supposed to be living out of our new self, out of our new identity in Jesus, not our old self. 
But I think we don't get to check our new selves at the door when we sit in front of a computer. We're in union with Jesus. And as Drew said a couple weeks ago, that means when we're, we enter the faith and we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death and his resurrection. And if we're in him with his death and his resurrection, he's with us in front of our computers. We don't get to leave him behind. And so the temptation is never stronger to revert to your old self than when you're hiding behind an online account. And Paul says, put that away. The old self, wherever it's coming out, has to go away. He's, you know, why are you wearing rags when you have this brand new garment? And, um, and so that's, you know, that's your, your sock analogy. It's why are you wearing those holy socks? Well, not holy in the pious church sense. Holy, full of whole socks when you have brand new, you know, socks. Um, and Paul looks at our behavior. He looks at our anger, our wrath, our malice, and our slander. And he says, why are you doing those things? You have better things. You have Jesus. And you can behave, you behave like Jesus. And so the, the principle here, one of them, is that Christians ought to practice uh, civility, practice and model civility and grace uh, when, and especially when, no one else is. If we're the only people on social media... That, that are looking like regenerated people. We're the only people modeling civility and grace. That's our calling. And here's where the gospel ties into This is why it isn't legalism. Because we model civility and grace towards others because that's what God has done towards us. While we were still sinners, enemies of God, God reconciled himself to us. He treats us with civility and with grace. How much more... Do we have to do that for others? And then here's, I mentioned earlier that it affects our witness. And I'm sure we think about this, uh, but I just want to take a moment to really, really let this sink in. Because many of us, myself included, have non-Christian friends on social media. And like it or not, to some of those people, you may be the only Christian they know. And if you're the only Christian they know, then everything they know about who Jesus is and what he says comes from what you do. And so who are you telling them Jesus is? With your, with your words, with your action, with your lack of words sometimes, with your silence. Uh, the silence from the Christian community can be as deafening as it can be. Uh, hard to hear at times. Um, and for, mo- from, from most of us, we're getting at best a mixed message that we're sending people. Uh, about who Jesus is. So we just need to be uh, intentional about that. We need to be living out of our new selves. And so one of my, uh, this is my, my final thought here, uh, but the, uh, the famous apologist, which is someone who just uh, makes rational arguments and, and defenses for the faith, named Francis Schaeffer, he said this. He said, the final apologetic, which means the, the final argument, along with rational defense and presentation, is what the world sees in the individual Christian in our relationships. There is no stronger argument that can be made for or against the Christian faith than by what the world sees when they look at individual Christians and their relationships. And where are your relationships more on display than social media? And so with that thought and all these thoughts in our mind, I'd like to call us back to what's kind of been our theme verse uh, through regenerating, which is Colossians 3.17. 
And we're going to say it together to close the sermon here, if we can uh, get it on the screens. Uh, I would invite you to uh, join with me. Uh, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we do pray that in whatever we do, whatever we tweet, whatever we post, whatever we share, whatever we like, whatever we dislike, whatever we comment on, that we would do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We pray, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the gift, sacrifice, and model of your son Jesus Christ for us. Uh, We thank you for the regenerating work of your Holy Spirit that began in us and that you will see through to completion. Uh, We lift up... um, all these things to you, and we just ask that you would continue to use your word to sharpen us uh, and mold us into the people that you would have us be. We ask all this in your name. Amen.